Well, good morning. Let's just open up in a word of prayer before we look into God's word. Father God, we give you thanks this morning that we can gather together to look into your word. We thank you that we are a community of hope, uh, that even as we pray for and think of these family members of ours that are sick, that are in need, uh, that we know that uh, you're stirring people even now to visit, uh, to call, to support, to uh, bring food, to um, engage with them and pray with them. Father, that you have uh, not left us alone in our faith, but you've put us in a church, you've put us in a family uh, to, for this purpose of encouragement and for the purpose of hope. And so, Lord, I just pray that even as your Holy Spirit moves this morning, that you would be stirring people to engage uh, with those around them, that you would be stirring people to uh, connect with those that are in need and to share their stories of hope with one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read a, start reading a poem here that uh, speaks to our message today, a message of hope, and speaks to the condition, um, even though the situation for this person is different than maybe most of us, speaks to the condition that all of us are, find ourselves in in this world and find ourselves in seasons of during times of our life. I arrived at the prison with no hope, thinking no one cared and I was worthless. The sign said there was fellowship in the chapel. I thought, why not? There's nothing better to do. I walked in not knowing what to expect, and I was a bit overwhelmed by what I discovered. To my surprise, there were outsiders there. These volunteers came to help us. I imagined they were getting paid a lot. Why else would they come to prison? Shocked doesn't describe what I felt when I discovered they were not getting paid. That was the moment I received one of the greatest gifts possible, the gift of hope. Your gift of hope opened my eyes, and now I see that I'm worth saving. You passed no judgment on me, just showed me how to get well. You trusted me enough to share yourself, even when I did not trust myself. Thank you for these gifts. You gave me the gift of life. Thank you to all the volunteers. Your generosity makes life worth living. That poem was written by a a prisoner here in Ontario. And he wrote that poem as a thank you to uh, a couple that most of you would know, Don and Judy, and their ministry because of their work week after week and month after month um, to meet with prisoners here and in Jamaican prisons as well and to share with those prisoners the gift of hope. And so that little poem there is just sort of one expression of one prisoner's encounter with the hope that Don and Judy shared. And it's probably not too difficult to imagine some sense of the hopelessness we might feel if we ended up in prison. I mean, if we were in prison, you can sort of get a sense of the hopelessness that might be there. And prison is a long way from the life that the people there imagined for themselves. And it would be a long way from the life that we would have imagined for ourselves that we would end up in prison. And prison is one of the last places you'd want to be. And yet, there's even hope in prison when it's brought there. But at the same time, it's also not hard to realize that prisons can be more than just concrete cells and steel bars. That there's the prison of a hospital bed or the prison of a crippling illness, 
Or some people find themselves in the prison of addiction or in the mental prison of depression or the financial prison of joblessness or even the prison of an abusive relationship. And so we also find ourselves in the prisons of our own actions and our own choices. And as we go through life, we realize that we've made choices and we've made decisions to go a certain way or go a certain place or do a certain thing. And we are trapped in those habits and we are trapped in those decisions and we're in prisons that we make for ourselves. And the poem that I just read speaks of hope in the midst of a prison because somebody from outside entered in. Somebody with hope could bring hope into a situation for those who didn't have it. And that's what finding the hope is about. That's why we've been spending the last several couple months, the last several weeks, trying to share the hope that we have with those that are trapped in situations of hopelessness. And when I was on the radio talking about it, I was um, in the interview, I was mentioning the fact that we talk about despair we talk about hopelessness and this morning i'm talking about prisons and you're thinking that sounds very extreme but the reality is when you're talking about hope on the other hand you have to be talking about despair and when you're talking about hope you're talking about situations maybe not your whole life but seasons of your life where you go through where you're looking for something different than what you have something that's going to get you out of the situation that you're in or give you strength in the situation that you're in that there is hope and that it can be found and in fact that there is a hope that was sent into our world to set us free from our prisons of disobedience and brokenness. And the very first time that Jesus sat before a crowd to speak, he quoted an Old Testament prophet who predicted the coming of a new king. And this is Jesus speaking about himself for the very first time. He says in Luke 4, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. That's what Jesus said about himself. Jesus' statement, first statement about his own ministry, is that he came with good news, and that good news was that captives would be released, that the blind would see, that the oppressed would be set free. That's the hope that Jesus came into our world with with good news, a message of hope for us prisoners, us sick and us oppressed. And so I was wondering the last few days where I'm going to start this message. There's a lot of build-up, obviously, to a message like this. We've been, you know, getting the word out to our people. We've been uh, sending out mail, hanging door hangers. Where am I going to start this message of hope? I mean, if you look at the Bible that's there in front of you and the pew in front of you, and, you know, you look at that, it's a big book. There's a lot of stuff in there. It's, it's a book that says the same thing over and over again. But where do you start to tell that story of the good news that what God has done for Jesus? And then it struck me of where to start. As I was thinking about where do I start, where, do, is, where does God start with us? God starts right where we are. He starts. We don't have to go anywhere to get into the message or to get to the starting point of God's relationship with us. God starts with us right wherever we are. The message of hope comes to us and God starts with us where we're at. Whether we're prisoner or free, whether we're rich or poor, whether right now we're healthy or sick or whether we're married or divorced, whether we're a criminal or a cop or an ex-cop, God meets with us right where we are. And so the first thing that we need to know, the first thing that I started with and that God started with me with is that God starts with us right where we are. God will meet you wherever you are today. You might be a Christian for 20 or 30 years and yet right now be in a season of needing hope, even though you've been walking with Jesus for a long time. God will meet you there. 
You might never have thought about God or Jesus before seeing the little book in the mail or the door hanger, and you might have never thought about God at all until today, and God will meet you there too. And you might have nothing but anger against God, and he will meet you there in your anger towards him. In fact, that's where God met the Apostle Paul, who we're going to see the writings of today. God met the Apostle Paul while Paul was on a road to a city in order to imprison and torture Christians. That's where God met Paul. And so if you're angry at God, he'll meet you there. That's fine with him. Or you might be calling out to God with a desperate need, but you don't know if you believe he will answer your need. And God will meet you there too. God will meet you wherever you are, just like Jesus met the need of the father with the sick son. And he said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And so you might be there. You might be crying out to God, not knowing if he's going to help. God will meet you there. God will meet you wherever you are, whether you've cleaned yourself up enough or not. He'll meet you in your sin. He'll meet you in your pain, just like he's met every single Christian in history. And so that's where we start, is that God will meet us wherever we are at today. God will meet us with his hope. And there's two ways that I want to show you how God meets us where we are at with his hope. God meets us with his hope in our situation as people, the situation that we find ourselves in, that we're born into in this world. And secondly, that God gives us hope in our season of life, our personal place that we're at right now, whatever season of life we happen to be in. So first of all, hope in our situation. And to set this up, I'm reading from Galatians 4, 3 to 7, if you want to turn there. I'm using the New Living Translation. But I was looking for, to start this conversation, sort of the shortest expression of the good news that we've sung about and talked about and prayed about this morning, the good news of what Jesus expressed of himself when he came into the world. And one of the shortest expressions of that is in Galatians 4, 3 to 7. And this is that Apostle Paul who is telling people about the good news that Jesus was talking about uh, to a church in a town called, in an area called Galatia. And he expresses it this way. And that is the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. That's it. That's the good news. That's about as succinctly as you can put it. And if you walk through that sentence by sentence, we can begin to unpack the beginning of where God is going to meet us with hope. Wherever we are today, the beginning, the place where God meets us starts right here in this message of good news. You look at verse 3 and it says, we were slaves, or you could say, we are prisoners to the basic spiritual principles of this world. This is our problem. This is the situation that we found ourselves in. This is a situation that humanity is in. This is not the special case just for bad people. This is not just a special case just for, you know, certain types of people are this way and certain types of people are that way. Paul says we are all in the same boat. The Bible tells us that we are all broken, all fallen, all imperfect. We are all slaves 
to the principles or the motives or the behaviors of our world, our bodies, our thoughts, our emotions, our desires, the Bible tells us they're all broken, they're all fallen, and we are slaves and we are prisoners to them. They immediately begin to betray us in our life. Our very nature leads us to misbehave and cause hurt to other people and end up having hurt caused to us because we can't break out of that broken condition that Paul says we're in, that the scripture says we're in. And we look around the world and we wonder why we keep hurting each other and why the world is the way it is. And it's because we're following our broken principles. And the Bible calls this sin. And you say, Paul, and by Paul, I mean the writer here, not me. You could be sitting there and you could be saying, Paul, that's a bleak assessment of our situation. Like, why do you put it that way? I refuse to believe that. But as you look around the world or you look past even in your own life or you look at what's going on in your own family, I think we see exactly what's being described here. People are trapped in situations of violence and depression and poverty and illness and addiction and greed, and the world has not figured out how to get out of it. The world has not figured out an answer to this problem. The the world has not figured out how to stop it. We can't even stop it in our own lives, let alone expect the rest of the world to stop it. And so people are trapped in these situations and we're all in the same boat. Paul isn't pointing any fingers saying that some people are worse than others or some people are bad and others are good. He's talking about himself. He's talking about everyone. This is the situation that we find ourselves in. Even the great Bible saints, you know, you can go back to Abraham, lied about his wife, had her sent into some king's harem, you know. He was following broken principles. You know, you can look at Moses, Started out his career killing a guy before God redeemed him. Isaiah, who saw the glory of God and declared, I am a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. Isaiah could not stand before the glory of God without realizing his brokenness. Or David (laughs) stole a guy's wife, then had the guy killed. Peter denied Jesus after walking with him acknowledging and declaring him as the Messiah, turns around a day later and denies that he was ever with them. Paul says, that's the situation we're all in. There are no good people worthy of the glory of God and the salvation of God. And everyone here today is all in the same boat. All humanity is in the same situation. And God had to come into our situation and meet us in that situation. God had to invade our world to rescue us from our own sin. And how did he do that? God came into our world by sending his son. It says, if you keep reading there, it says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. Jesus was born accountable to the law. Just like we were born. He was born into the same situation. He was accountable to the law of God. But Jesus was born like us so that he could represent us before God. But the difference with Jesus is he was able to please God perfectly. He could follow God's law. Now, I'm not going to get into that this morning. There's a lot to unpack here, and I'm not going to unpack all of that. The main thing to take away, though, is that we were lost in this hopeless situation, and God had to invade our situation with his own son, Jesus, who was born like us, but could perfectly fulfill the law and therefore represent us before God as a fully human person. And he did that to buy freedom or to redeem, to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. That's you and me. That's what Paul was just talking about earlier. You and me, we were slaves 
to the law. We were slaves to the basic principles of this world. We were unable to keep the law perfectly. We're all bad law keepers. We're even bad at keeping our own laws. This is the situation that we're in. Think about keeping even our own laws. We make New Year's resolutions about how we're going to eat and how we're going to act and how fast are our own laws broken after January 1st. Does it take even a week before we break our own laws? Right? Or we make parenting laws for ourselves. We're never going to spank our kids. We're never going to raise our voice. They'll never hear us say no. You know, they're never going to watch TV for more than an hour a day. We make all these laws for ourselves that we know are good and, and we break them, don't we? Right? Or relationship laws. We tell ourselves we're not going to allow ourselves to go too far, too fast in a relationship when we're young. Or we're not going to be offended in a certain way. Or I'm not going to do the things my dad did. Or I'm not going to do the things my mom did. How if We break our own laws. Right? Or behavioral laws. We tell ourselves we're going to behave certain ways. We're going to get up early. We're going to work hard. We're going to stop smoking. Or we're not going to start smoking. Or we're going to eat less sugar. We break those laws. C.S. Lewis called this the natural law of man. And he noticed that all of mankind pretty much agree on what is good and what we should do. And we even make laws for ourselves telling ourselves what we should do. But he also noticed that we don't even do the things we've decided for ourselves is right. Because we're all lawbreakers. We don't even keep our own law, let alone God's law. And we all agree with our laws, and yet we break them. And so Paul, who is writing this letter, he admits the same problem within himself. Even Paul admits this in another letter that he wrote to the Christians in Rome. In in, in Romans chapter 7, he says, So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. This is the situation that we're in. We're all in. Everyone sitting here, me on the stage here, we're all in this situation. The Apostle Paul, we are stuck in this situation that we are all bad law keepers and we do things that we don't even want to do that we know are bad and we can't keep our own law. We certainly can't keep God's law. And we need to be rescued out of this situation. And it causes the hopelessness and the despair that's in our life. And we wonder, how did we get to where we are today? Or why is this happening? It's because we're lawbreakers. Every single one of us. And so this is the situation that we are in. Separated from God, broken his law, but God has sent us hope in our desperate situation. He sent us, he sent to get us out of that situation, that they, we have broken the law and that there's this judgment upon us. But it says if we keep reading, it says that Jesus was born to buy freedom. What Jesus was born and lived and died for was to buy freedom for us. Remember what the prophet said and what Jesus quoted when he first spoke to the crowd. He said, I have come to set the captives free. That's the good news. That's the hope that's at the center of the good news is that Jesus came to set us free from this situation. And so Jesus moves us from one situation to another. He has the ability to move us from one position to another, from prisoner to free, from guilty under the law to free from punishment from the law, to justified under the law. And Jesus came to redeem those of us who are under the law. Jesus' death on the cross was payment for what we owe for breaking the law. Because when you break the law, you owe somebody something, right? And Jesus had to pay that price that we can't pay so that we are free from our obligation to the law and free from our obligation to breaking the law. Jesus came to set us free from that by his life, death, and resurrection. 
And so we are put in a position where we're no longer guilty, where we're no longer obligated to the law and no longer obligated to the guilt that we have under the law. But you say that's all very distant and a bit impersonal. There's, there's more to it than that. It's not only just that Jesus came to set us free from the bondage of our principal nature and set us free from the, our obligation under the law and our guilt under the law. When you keep reading, it says that so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. So look at it this way. We're not just set free. We're not just in the courtroom and said, okay, because of what Jesus has done, you're now free to go and you can leave the courtroom and and try to make your way on your own now that you've got that burden off of you. I mean, that would be good news. You're not just let out of the prison or let out of the courtroom and, and sort of left on your own. The good news gets even better. The good news is, is that you're not just set free of the obligation to the law and set free of your guilt under the law. It's that he could adopt us as his very own children and that because we are his children, God sent his spirit so that we can call out Abba, Father. It says, now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. So it's not just the good news of being set free. It's the good news of being adopted into a new family. We don't just lose our debt to God. We inherit everything Jesus has. It's not just that we're told that you're free to go, but now you just kind of got to go out on the street and stumble around on your own. You're free to stay and receive the adoption into God's family. It's as if after the court declared you not guilty, they immediately declared you that you are now adopted by Bill Gates and you get all of his fortune handed to you. You know, not only are you free from all the debt that you owed, but you are handed $56 billion in inheritance. So the good news is not just that Jesus has released us from our obligation to the law, but more importantly, we are adopted into God's family. And this is what Jesus was up to. This is what the good news is. This is what the whole story of the gospel is all about. This is what the plan was. You're adopted into the family of God. And now that you are part of a family, what can that mean? That the good news of hope, the journey of faith, is not done alone. It's done as part of a family. John 14, 18, Jesus says to his followers before he goes, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. And he says to us, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you as orphans to do this on your own. God says, I've taken care of you spiritually. I've taken care of you legally. I've taken care of the debt that you have. I've, I've justified you. I've made you right before me. I've done that transaction. It's all taken care of in the court of heaven. But beyond taking care of all the legal implications and all the things that need to be taken care of in court, so to speak, with God to make that relationship right, he says, I've also done something else and I've adopted you relationally and I've placed you in a family that will join in caring for you. And all of that good news about Jesus is great, understanding the hope that we can have now that God has met us where we are at and that Jesus has set us free from our debt and he's adopted us as children, but we're still here on earth And I'm still sick and I'm still in that situation and I'm still poor and I'm still have my addictions and I'm still have my depression and I'm still struggling in my marriage. What about that? Where's the hope in that? And God provides hope for the second thing, not only for the situation that we're in, but he provides hope also for the season of life that we're in. And that season is really our whole life here on earth. And part of the way that God provides hope for that season of life that we're in is that he puts us in his family. He puts us in 
a body of Christ. He puts us in church. This church, United Church, Northland Church, the church, the body of Christ. He puts us and provides hope for us in our season of life by putting us in his family. Bad things still happen. Creation groans. We groan. We still wrestle with sin. And God provides not only his son and his spirit, but also his family, his church. In Matthew 19, 29, it says, And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake, in other words, anybody who's come to receive me and come into my family and given up maybe their family, Jesus says, will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. What's he talking about there? He's saying when you give up your life for Jesus, he gives you a hundred brothers and sisters. Right here, you look around, these are your brothers and sisters. You get a hundredfold more in the family of God than you get in your own family. He gives us a hundredfold more brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and fathers and mothers and grandfathers and grandmothers in Christ. And he says, in most of the New Testament, if you read the New Testament through, most of the New Testament letters and most of the content of the New Testament past the Gospels is all instructions from God about how that family is supposed to encourage one another. You go through the letters of Paul, you go through the letters of James, you go through the letters of John, you go through the letters of Peter. They are over and over and over again speaking to that family of God that Jesus has created. And over and over and over again, their instructions, unending are how to bear one another's burdens and how to encourage one another. And I could go through a huge list. I'm not going to. But the whole point of the family of God, the whole point of this family that we are adopted into is to provide hope and to encourage one another in the seasons of life that we're in. The purpose of the church is to bear one another's burdens and encourage and exhort. Galatians 6.2, share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, so encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Hebrews 10.25, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. There's a checkbox on the response card that you have that indicates whether you'd like to talk to somebody who shares your struggle. If you look at that little blue response card, we listed a few things that you might be struggling with that are very common to all of mankind. You know, whether it's marriage, your family, parenting, addiction, depression. There's lots of things that we're struggling with. Illness that we've prayed about even this morning. And we put that on that card because we know that there are people here in this church right now who have been and are in every one of those situations. And the purpose of the church and to have that checkbox there to say, would you like somebody to talk to you? Is because I know if I get one of those cards and you say, I'm struggling with addiction. You know, I'm struggling with alcohol or I'm struggling in my marriage. I know that I can go to somebody in this church and I can say, you know what? There's a person struggling and they need your help. You've been to AA. You've had your struggles with alcohol. You can help them. You've been through a rough marriage. You know what it's like to be in that situation. You can help them. You've struggled with terminal illness. You've had family members die. You've dealt with suicide. Whatever the situation is, there are people in the family of God, in the body of believers who are there to encourage and to bring hope to others who are in trouble. So where is the hope? The hope is found right here with your brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. The people here at Lakeside all have the same problems. They all have those same difficulties. But our hope is a community project 
Our hope is that we're not in this alone. Our hope is that we endure together and offer hope to each other and to others. And that's the whole point of why we're doing Finding the Hope. Because we have a hope that's within us that we have found the hope and we want to share it with each other and everyone else. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4 says it this way. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. Or you could say hope there. And he comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others when they are troubled. We will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Isn't that the message? We have a hope. We have a comfort. We are told repeatedly to encourage and exhort and to comfort others in their trouble with the way that we've been comforted in our trouble. Everyone in our church could check off two or three of those boxes on that card for what they're dealing with today. We could all check boxes there. And I'd hope that you do check the boxes and then join a small group for 40 days of community. This is why we're doing 40 days of community right after this. We want everybody together. It says we're better together. And the first message starting next week is we're compelled to love. And so check off those boxes and say you want to hear from somebody who can help you with your struggle. And then join a small group so that you are with brothers and sisters who can help you through these things. Please do that. That is what church is for. Church is a community of people who have tasted despair and found hope. Church is a community of people who share the same hope and can share it with you. So do join in with what the church is doing. That is the hope that is found in our, situa- in our season. God provides hope in our situation as humanity by invading the earth with his son Jesus, who lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, and was resurrected in order to prove the love of God that he would be faithful if we put our trust in Jesus to believe in him for our hope. And secondly, he provides hope for the season that we are in life through the family that we are adopted into, through the body of Christ, through the church, through believers who are commanded and exhorted and encouraged to share the hope that they have and to comfort those who are in need. And so God provides us hope for our situation and then further hope for our season of life. God's hope is hope that meets us right where we are. How valuable do we think we are to God or how valuable do you think you are to God? Would he adopt us? Would he redeem us? Would he save us if we were not loved? For those of us who have said yes to God, he adopted us knowing we were enemies knowing we were broken, knowing all of this about our sin, knowing all of this about our lives. And he called us his children. In Romans 5.10, it says, For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we, shall we be saved by his life. That verse, more than anything, tells me that God will meet us wherever we are. Because it's while we were even his enemies that he came to meet us and to reconcile us and give us hope. But not everyone has said yes to God. Some people are still saying, no, I don't want to be a child of God. It's some sort of trap or it's a trick or I've seen my parents do this and they said they were children of God and, you know, they were no better than anybody else. Or I was in church when I was young and and I was offended and and I don't want any of this God stuff. It's some sort of trap. It's going to mess up my life or I like what I'm doing right now because I'm in a good season and everything is going well for for me. And if I accept God, then it's going to make it's going to take me off the track that I'm on. Or maybe you're still trying to swim on your own strength and you know you think you have you know some sort of sufficiency in yourself to get through the trouble that you're in. You have some wisdom or smarts of your own and you haven't realized yet that the basic principles of this world that you are following 
you are enslaved to, and they will eventually let you down. And when we come to a realization that we're bankrupt, that we don't have the, a- the answers, that we're at the end of our rope, that, 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 that there is no more fight left in us, then we can come to God, and God will meet us, and he will give us hope. You can lay down your sword, and you could admit that you're empty, and you could admit that you have nothing to offer, just like every Christian who's here today has done at some point in their life. And when you lay down your sword and you admit that you're empty and you admit that there is nothing you can offer God, then God is ready to meet you right there. And and he will join you to his family, adopted by God. That's your first and most glorious good. And then you'll be welcomed into the family of hope, into this church family or another church family. And you can do that today right now. You You can just sort of lay down your life before God. And say, I'm done struggling with the broken principles of my world that didn't work. Or I realize that my wisdom isn't wise. I realize that my good ideas are not good. I realize that I have nothing to offer, that I've tried everything, that there is nothing left for me other than to hope in somebody who can rescue me. Somebody has to come in from the outside into the prison in order to bring the hope in. And that's what God did through Jesus Christ. And that's what his family, his brothers and sisters, are trying to do with those around them to share the hope that they have and bring it into lives that are hopeless. Let's pray. Father God, right now, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would be meeting each and everyone here exactly where they're at. As I said at the beginning, Father, there could be people here that have been Christians for 20 or 30 years and have struggled with something all that time. And need help, need hope. They need to reach out and get deliverance from it. Father, there could be people who have been sitting in these pews for five or ten years and never accepted you, never really let go of their life to be adopted into your family, to let go of the principles of the world. Father, you can meet them right where they're at too. Father, there may be people here who are really angry with you and you can meet them there too. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move, that they would check off a box on that card or that they would ask for contact to be followed up, that most of all, Lord, that they would look around and realize that the invitation stays open, that there are brothers and sisters around them here who have gone through everything that they have gone through and more, that have found hope and found deliverance, and found joy, and found comfort through your son Jesus Christ and through being a brother and a sister in the family of God. And so as those people would look around and realize that they are not alone, that they are not any better off or worse off than anybody else, that we are a community of broken people who have found hope and want to extend that hope to others. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move. And Father, I pray even now, that if, if they need to find you for the first time, they would, they would begin that journey right now today. That they may even be ready. If today is the day for their salvation, Lord, that they, would, that they would ask you to take control of their life, that they would set down their sin and set down their fight and set down their rebellion and set down their brokenness and hurt and leave it all to you and accept you and begin anew as a child, your child, child in your family and father if they've done that that they would tell somebody about that that they would come forward to me or they would 
uh, put it on the card, whatever, Lord. Father, meet us all, even me, right where we're at today. Father, give us the courage to check off the checkbox, to join a 40 days of community group, to just commit for six weeks to be an earnest, full participant in the body of Christ so that we can share the comfort that we have with others who need it and we can be comforted by others who have been comforted before us. Father, your message at its core, as Jesus said, is hope to set the oppressed free. And Father, we trust in nothing else but the movement of your Holy Spirit, the power of your will to break through and invade our lives and bring hope where there is none. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.